Well, would you take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And if you're thinking right about now, wait a minute, give it. You said we're going to start the Beatitudes series today. You were right. I did say that. Um, but sometimes the Lord kind of redirects our steps a little bit. And this past Tuesday, Wednesday, I realized that that was what the Lord is doing for us this Sunday. So Lord willing, we will start that next week. For today, though, I want for us to um, just, just spend some time talking about the vision, the mission of the church, and uh, talking about what it looks like for us to honor the Lord um, with our church. Why are we here? What is it we're supposed to be doing while we're here? Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about that this morning, and I am thankful that, uh, that you are here for us to be able to uh, talk through this together. It's a... Um, well, let's start here first in, in, in John chapter 1. I'm going to read starting in verse 1, okay? John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jump down to verse 9 now. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Our Father, we ask that in these moments you lead and guide and that you work as only you can. That's the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit is that um, he allows us to understand your word and understand how we're supposed to respond to your word. And Father, we pray that in these moments we make much of you. And that, Father, we understand more deeply what it means for us to be a church that honors you. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The date was March 23rd, 1775. So quite a few years ago, okay? March 23rd, 1775, there's a man by the name of Patrick Henry who stands up in front of the Virginia Convention and he gives a speech regarding what he believed or he saw as the inevitable war that was coming with Great Britain. Now, Patrick Henry had already given many speeches about this because he truly believed that there was no freedom that could be obtained without war from Great Britain or with Great Britain. And so this speech was really no different with Henry arguing that there's no other course of action for freedom except to go to war. Now, at the end of the speech came the famous words that were echoed all throughout the Revolutionary War. In fact, soldiers would cry this as they go into battle. They would yell, give me liberty or give me death. That was Patrick Henry's words there in 1775. Give me liberty or give me death. Now, when he said that, he wrote later that he was willing to give everything. His prestige, his wealth. He was willing even to give his very life if it was required of him to see that take place. Give me liberty or give me death. He was ready to live out what he was saying. You see, Patrick Henry loved this young country. It wasn't even a country yet. It was just a land, territory. And he was willing to sacrifice for it. 
And he knew that it was likely going to cost him his wealth, and it did cost him his wealth. It, it cost him much of his family. It cost him um, all the way up to he didn't give his life for this country, but he was willing to all the way to the end. Now, my hope as we work through this today is that we become more like Patrick Henry. And I'm not talking about for love of country. That is important, yes. But I'm talking about a love that will outlast anything that, or outlast any country on this earth. I'm talking about something that's much deeper and much greater and much more important than love of country. Okay? Let's talk about vision and mission for a few moments. Vision and mission. Um, vision is, is, is not something that's mystical. It's not something that's to be vague or confusing. Vision is meant to be clear and concise. It's there to call us to action. Here's a definition for you. Spiritual vision is a picture of what should be with a conviction of what could be. And you can write this in your handout. There's some blank fill-in-the-blank notes there, and this is one of the ones that you can fill in. But vision is, a spiritual vision is a picture of what should be with a conviction of what could be. Let me give you an example of a God-given vision in the Bible. Uh, it, was, it wasn't too long ago that we worked through the book of Nehemiah. Okay? God gave Nehemiah a vision that the walls of Jerusalem should be rebuilt. And Nehemiah coupled that with the belief that they could be rebuilt. You see that? There's the, they should be rebuilt. That's what God gave Nehemiah, right? And then Nehemiah had the conviction that they could be rebuilt. And the result is a great work of God all through Nehemiah and through the people. The could be and, or excuse me, should be and could be. Now, here's a statement that has Blake's in your hand out there that you can fill in as well, okay? Vision is necessary for growth and advancement of the gospel. Vision is necessary for growth and advancement of the gospel. Now, let's talk for a few moments about this idea of should be and could be. What, is this, what does this look like for us as a church? All right, here's, here's an example. As a church, we should be proclaiming the gospel, Right? The good news that Jesus saves, the good news that we can have a relationship with God through Jesus alone. We should be proclaiming the gospel to the world. And the could be, get this, the could be part of this is that our church, our individual lives, our city, our world could be changed through the proclamation of the gospel. So there's the should be, this is what should happen, but also the could be of, man, look at what could happen here with this. The problem is that a lot of Christians feel like they're just fine with where they're at as Christians or, or maybe where we're at as a church. But God never, ever calls us to a place of complacency or of maintaining the status quo. Jesus always calls us to follow him in faith and to believe that he can do great things in us and through us and all around us. I think about the Old Testament story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. Maybe you've heard this story before. They're tired of sitting around waiting for a battle. The whole army of Israel sitting there waiting, waiting for a battle that seems like it's never coming. So Jonathan, what's he do? He decides, you know, I'm going to do something about this. So he grabs his armor bearer. They go climb a mountain to surprise the Philistines. They get up to the top of the mountain. They kill a bunch of the Philistines, and they run them off. Okay? What happened there is that Jonathan had a vision of what should be. They should be kicking these people out of their country, right? As well as an understanding, a conviction of what could be, we can do this. And so he goes and does something about it. 1 Samuel chapter 14 makes it clear that it is the Lord who equipped them to do it. 
Yeah, they took the initiative, and yeah, they took the, 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 um, the uh, uh, well, I can't remember the word I'm looking for right now, but anyway, you get the idea of what they're looking for. They, they went for it, but it was the Lord who equipped them to do it. Church, I believe with everything inside of me that God wants to do great things in and through Salem Baptist Church and our sister organizations. Salem Baptist Christian School, Marywood Christian Camp, missions ministries, great things that can only happen if he enables them to do it, to take place. And one of the prayers that I pray often is for us to see with the eyes of Jesus the vision that he gives and then for the conviction to join him in what he's doing. What is it that should be taking place and what could be if that does take place? So what's God up to? What's he doing? What's his will for us? Well, we know, first of all, that Jesus' command in the Great Commission was to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. First and foremost, that's our mission. Go and make disciples. There's a whole bunch of people who live in our community right here who are not disciples of Jesus. In fact, I want to give you some numbers, uh, and you can fill in the blanks as we go through this so that you can see what, what I'm talking about here, but some numbers to help, uh, help put this in perspective, all right? There are 385,374 people who lived in Forsyth County in 2020. All right, that's the population of Forsyth County, 2020. 55.4 of them claim to be religious. Now, this could be any religion. It could be some affiliation with a church or a denomination. It's not necessarily evangelical. This includes Roman Catholics. It includes Jehovah's Witness. It includes anybody who claims to be religious in any way, shape, or form. 55.4%. That means if you take just strictly that number, okay, just strictly that number, that means that there is 171,877 people in Forsyth County who claim no religious affiliation whatsoever. And that's a pretty large number. But then you take the 55% who do claim some kind of religious affiliation that I talked about just a moment ago, and maybe it's with a church, maybe it's with a denomination, somehow they're affiliated with a religion, okay? But national averages show us that 25% of that number seldom or never attend church, with many of them questionable on whether they even believe in God at all, and even more of them questionable about whether Jesus is the only way to get to God. All right, so all of a sudden you see that 55% number start to come down pretty drastically. The true number of saved people, of unsaved people in Forsyth County is actually a whole lot higher than the number that you see there on the screen. Now, when you expand that out to a bigger picture of the world at large, we see that there are 7,402 unreached people groups all over the world. That means that these are groups of people who have no evangelical church movement whatsoever. Now, the mission of the church is to make disciples to evangelize the lost. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17 tells us that Jesus came to bring peace to those who are far from God and to those who are near to God. So no matter where you're at in this spectrum, Jesus came to bring peace. But you know what? It doesn't matter who the person is. They are either known by God for the relationship that they do have with him, or they're known by God for the relationship that they don't have with him. There's no other option. They do or they don't have a relationship with God. 
The Great Commission that I mentioned a moment ago is Jesus' marching orders to his church to bring people to God. But listen, that's not going to happen unless we take ownership of the vision, that we see what should be and couple it with what could be. What should be is that people come to faith in Jesus, right? What could be is that our world could be impacted by that. The second great awakening, which began in, right around the year 1800, was a movement of God that will always be considered one of the greatest revivals of all time. Christians all throughout the United States gained a burden for the lost and had such a hunger for them to come to know Christ that they did whatever it took to reach people for Jesus. And what resulted was thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people coming to know Jesus as their Savior. It was a gospel movement that didn't simply happen because some skilled preachers got together for a great big revival meeting. That's not how it happened at all. We'll talk more about that in a couple of moments. It didn't come because people were skilled at communicating. What happened was that God chose to work in a way that was nothing short of incredible and poured out his Holy Spirit. And the people came to faith in Jesus in droves because of it. But listen to me, a large part of the reason for the Great, the great Awakening's success came because people gained a burden for the lost. A gospel movement will come when God's people own the lostness of the place in which they live. That they understand that there are people around them who are not believers, who don't know Jesus, and they take ownership of that. People are not going to be saved, and the tide is going to continue to flow in favor of Satan unless God's people own the lostness of the place in which they live. Now, sometimes we think, listen, there's no way that our small to medium-sized church can make a dent in the lostness of our community, much less the world. But listen, I beg to differ. I fully believe that we can make a dent in the lostness. It's happening already. Next year, I will have served as your pastor for five years. And all along, I believe that we are to be responsible for 1% of the lostness in our community. That's us taking ownership of 1% of the lostness of our community, roughly 25, 2,700 people. And y'all, it's happening. It's, it's slowly happening, but it's happening. And what God has done in reaching people through this church and through its ministries has been amazing to see, and I'm thankful to be a part of it. I can't wait to see what God continues to do. You know, 1% can seem like a really big number. But we serve a really big God, and I know that his desire is that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance in Jesus, belief in Jesus. And I believe that 1% is a realistic number when I look at the capability of the people sitting in this room and the people who are meant to be sitting in this room. Let's be honest. That number is just crazy enough to where if it happens, it's got to be a God thing, right? I want to be a part of a God thing, don't you? So my question to you is here, would you join me in taking ownership of 1%? And you have. Many of you have, and, and others, maybe, you haven't, you, maybe you're kind of hearing this for the first time, and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but would you join me in this? Some of us need a renewed effort and renewed energy in taking ownership of that 1%. I tell you, it's going to take vision, it's going to take commitment, it's going to take a whole lot of prayer, 
But I believe we are responsible for 1% of the lostness in our community. And here's what I know. I know without a doubt that in the middle of not knowing a whole lot, I know that it is on God's heart for people to come into a relationship with him through Jesus. And I know that eternal life can only be found in Jesus. Go back to John chapter 1. Start reading in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is Jesus. That's who John's talking about there. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, folks, that reminds me just from those few verses that Jesus is supreme. He is powerful. He's powerful as seen in the creation of the world. He's loving. He's loving just in the way that he comes to earth to die the death that I deserve to die and the death that you deserve to die. He's loving. Verse 3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That means that you, every single human being on this earth, was made by Jesus. You were given the breath that you just breathed by Jesus. You were created by Jesus. He's the one who gives you your physical life. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, we read this. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. You were created by Jesus and for Jesus and through Jesus. We also know that mankind was thought about before the creation of the world. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16 you formed me in my, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. That means that your life was designed by Jesus. He formed your inward parts. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He intricately wove you together. He looked on you while you were still unformed, and he knew exactly what you were going to look like, act like, and think like, okay? He gave you your physical life. But having physical life is not enough. You can have physical life but be the deadest person in the world, because if you don't have spiritual life coupled with your physical life, then what in the world are you? You're a dead man walking. The reality is that Jesus is the giver of life for our physical bodies, but every single one of us needs spiritual life. And Jesus is the giver of life for that as well. John 1, 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life, and the life, life was the light of men. We live in a world that is in desperate need of light, of life. Here's an example of, of how dark this world is and how much of a lack of hope people have. And this is just one example, okay? There's many that I could use. This is just one example. Based on Forsyth County's population and the national averages and how that, all of that works, Roughly 54 people in Forsyth County died by suicide in 2020. Could be more, likely not less. 
54 people. Now, you might have expected a higher number than that. You're like, 54? That's, that's not too bad, right? How about this, though? For every one fatal suicide attempt where the person actually dies, there are 25 attempted suicides that don't result in death. So for every one fatal, there's 25 attempts. That means that 1,350 people in Forsyth County in 2020 believed that their life was not worth living and they wanted to end it all. That's how many people who in this relatively small county of Forsyth decided that there is no hope and that death was more beneficial to them than life. Now, this doesn't take into account any kind of mental health difficulties or anything like that. This is just an example to show the lack of hope that our world often has. How about all the people who have never heard that there is life in Jesus and they turn to all kinds of other things besides suicide to try to fill the hole in their soul? Uh, Money, fame, family, drugs, alcohol, pornography, relationships in general. All of these are things that people turn to instead of Jesus and they hope that those things are going to fill them up and give them some kind of satisfaction and fulfillment in life. They don't know about Psalm 139 where we read that you, Jesus, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. They don't know that they're loved. John chapter 1 verse 4, they don't know that in Jesus' life and the life was the light of men. They don't know about John 3.16 that says God so loved the world, the what? The, the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They don't know. And I wonder why, in light of knowing this and in light of knowing that there's so many people who don't know Jesus, I wonder why we're content to sit by and watch them go to hell with our blessing because we haven't cared enough to tell them about Jesus. In light of this, I wonder why we're content to just play church and nitpick about this or that that we don't like about our church or gossip about this person or that person. Never even stop to think about why we're actually here. We've told ourselves that it's okay to care only about the business of the church and to forget about the mission of the church. Now listen, I'm preaching to me here because I have to fight the natural drift that, 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 that comes up to, to always live in the numbers and in the methodology of doing church. And I have to remind myself that I am here for a greater purpose than just going through the motions of church. There are people who are separated from God and they're destined for hell. And if I don't tell them about Jesus, there may be nobody else who does. And the day that they die, they're going to step into an eternity where there's no chance of a relationship with their creator. And as I say that, the Holy Spirit may be bringing people to your mind that applies to. Maybe it's neighbors, maybe it's family members, maybe it's co-workers. What's stopping you from telling them the greatest story ever told? And if you've told them that story in the past and they didn't receive it, what's stopping you from telling it again? Is it fear of man? Is it, is it pride? I want to show you the beautiful part of, of, of a relationship with, with God. Look down at verse 12 here in John chapter 1. But to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what life in Jesus means. 
It means that when you believe in the name of Jesus, you are a child of God. Listen, there's a lot of people in Forsyth County who have no hope. There are people that you know who are not God's children. I realized this week I needed to preach this sermon because some in our church have lost their way and they've forgotten the vision and the mission. And I'll tell you, at times I'm included in that and I needed to repent of that this week. And maybe you're in that same position right now where you're so concerned about the the business or the way we do church here that you've completely forgotten about the lost. And if that's you, I would call you back to the mission. What was it that Jesus called us to do? To go and make disciples. Why? Because he has placed value, intricate value on every single human being. He loves them with an unconditional love. And he uses us to bring them into a relationship with him. That's our mission. Earlier I mentioned the, uh, the second great awakening is at the end of the 1700s and the United States was, was moving westward. <clears throat> Not like far westward. We're talking into western Carolina and western Kentucky, excuse me, western uh, Virginia and into Kentucky and Tennessee. We've got documentation of church leaders who are writing to each other and they're lamenting the fact that all these people are moving to places where there's no churches and there's no pastors. There's no one to share the gospel. And then the Louisiana Purchase comes up in 1803 and all of a sudden there's a much greater area of land where there is absolutely no churches and there's no pastors. So these church leaders are wondering how in the world is the church going to die? Is it going to be able to move forward in any way because there's not pastors? But then God did something that was absolutely incredible. He didn't use the pastors. He didn't use the evangelist. He used the lay people who were just simply Christians, to awaken an entire nation. You see, sometimes this evangelist would come and he would be in this place, or this preacher would come and he'd be in this place for a week or two, and then he'd have to go and he'd travel for months on end, and he wouldn't be there. But then he would come back to that area and he'd say, what happened? Because all of a sudden, hundreds of people are Christians where before they were not. I'll tell you what happened. The individual Christian, the layperson, the one who's not considered the professional Christian, they happened. They gained an an ownership of the lostness in the place in which they lived, and they did something about the lostness. And our nation and the world was changed because of it. You know, we really shouldn't be surprised at that, though, because that's how God's worked all along. Think about it, from the very beginning of the church, that's how he works. He works in the individual Christian. They are the ones who expand the church. They are the ones who build the church of Christ. It's you. I'm included in that, but it's you. It happens through one child of God telling another person how they can be a child of God. In church, very simply today, I just want to say, Let's be a church who moves past our pride and who moves past our fear of man and show people how they can find life in Jesus. That's my challenge to you. It's simple. Let's show people how they can find eternal life in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, help us do that. 
we truly believe that to all who did receive you, who believe in Jesus, you give the right to become children of God. Father, help us to be instruments who carry out your will, your mission. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.